Hello, I'm Zev Newworth, and welcome to Creating a New Healthcare, a podcast series for healthcare leaders who are interested in fresh perspectives, new ideas, and bold solutions on how to advance the creation of a customer-oriented, value-based, and humanistic system of health. The views I express on the podcast are solely my own and do not represent the views of any other person or organization. Folks, the topic we are going to explore today includes platforms, flywheels, and perhaps other digitally related metaphors. I can't begin to tell you how excited I am about exploring these topics with Sarah Baezzi, who, as far as I know, introduced this notion of flywheels. I've never heard of it before. And I'm going to do something I don't typically do. I just want to read a brief paragraph, two sentences that Sarah co-authored from this recent article published August 9th, 2022. It's entitled, Dig This, Why Healthcare Needs a Flywheel. And here I quote, we believe the timing is ripe for healthcare systems to launch and operate successful flywheel programs to support increased engagement and ultimately drive better health outcomes. This will be critical for not only maintaining relevance against digital native disruptors, but also to support a transition to value-based care beyond sick care. I can't think of two things that are so important in healthcare today to maintain our relevance and to really augment care beyond sick care and to value-based care. So I'm super excited to explore with Sarah what this notion of flywheels means, what it is, what it brings to healthcare, how it helps patients and providers and healthcare systems. But before we introduce and formally introduce Sarah, I'd like to make a request of you. If you find value in the podcast, please share it with your colleagues and also rate it online. I truly love hearing your perspectives. The purpose here is to create more dialogue that can catalyze the transformation of American healthcare. An increasing number of you have been resharing the podcast through LinkedIn and Twitter. I can't tell you how greatly I appreciate you taking a moment to spread the podcast and more importantly to spread the word on creating new healthcare. Sarah Vaezzi is the recently appointed Chief Strategy and Digital Officer for Providence, where she's responsible for digital strategy, product innovation, marketing, digital experience, and commercialization for the integrated delivery network, which includes 52 hospitals and over 1,000 clinics serving over 5 million patients. Sarah is the architect of DIG, the digital innovation group at Providence, which results in company partnerships, incubation of technologies, and commercializations that deliver value not just at Providence, but at other healthcare systems as well. In addition to her work at Providence, Sarah serves as the NCQA board director as a member of the inaugural class of the Frist Crazy Ventures Collective, as a Health Evolution Forum Fellow, a World Digital 50 member, and a Forbes Business Council member. She's won numerous awards and recognitions that include a Becker's Rising Star in Health IT that was in 2020, and a Becker's Women to Watch in Health IT in 2020, as well as in 2022. Sarah holds an MHA and an MPH in health policy from the University of Washington School of Public Health and two BAs, one in physics and the other in philosophy from the University of California, Berkeley. Sarah, welcome to Creating New Healthcare. How are you today? Thank you so much, Dev. I'm so happy to be here and have a conversation with you about this awesome topic. 
Well, thanks, Sarah. I'm not going to go on because you know how much I admire and respect you. And just every time we speak, it seems like you have a bigger and bigger job and, and more responsibility. I know that strategy part of your job has even grown since we spoke a short few weeks ago. So just really super excited. And thank you so much for making the time to speak today. Absolutely. So let's jump into platforms. And I, I do want to get into the flywheel because I just think that's such an interesting concept and never heard of that before. I, I'm assuming you created it with your co-author, but we'll hear more about that in a minute. But let's just start with platforms. For those listeners not familiar with platforms, how would you describe what a platform is? Well, you know, we, especially in healthcare these days, we talk about platforms all the time and but they do have a very specific kind of definition. And really platforms are technologies that are used sort of as a base for business applications, other technologies. You can build, you know, workflows, processes on top of platforms, but they they function as that fundamental layer upon which other things can be built. And they serve a really important mm -hmm purpose, which we can talk a little bit more about. And certainly we can talk about it in the context of the, the flywheel as well. Okay, great. And, and that was exactly what I was wondering about the purpose. And maybe you could, if you don't mind, illustrate that with an example of a platform, perhaps outside of healthcare that people are familiar with. Oh, absolutely. You know, there's um, a couple examples I'll give. The The first is, you know, Amazon's like commerce platform is an example that we're probably all familiar with. But Amazon started out by selling books, but that was just a, a product that they delivered through their broader commerce platform, which from discovery, search, uh, through the actual transaction, as well as beyond that transaction, really gets you to having the most frictionless purchasing experience and then kind of keeps you coming back for more when it comes to their things like Prime and, and that'll get us into the, the flywheel mm -hmm. concept as well. Amazon is a tech company. That's a great tech example of that. Another example of a platform in a different industry is in the travel and hospitality industry around transactions is the sort of, you may have heard of Sabre um, or Amadeus. Those are two big platforms that basically drive booking and, you know, finding inventory and booking inventory across all of the travel, entertainment, hospitality industries. And, you know, the thing about platforms is we use them sort of broadly, but platforms have specific purposes and kind of business outcomes that they are focused on and use cases and that transactional notion that Sabre and Amadeus have been driving forward within the, their industries is a, is a really powerful platform example. They've been around for decades and are very effective. A moment ago, you said we talk about this a lot in, in healthcare. I guess I'm wondering when you say we, is it informatics leaders? Is it digital leaders? Is it strategic leaders? Because I mean, outside of a few leaders in the country, I haven't heard a lot of talk about platforms. And I guess the second part to that question is, is this something that is happening now? Is it something people should be aware of? Or is this something that's coming down the pike in five or 10 years? Well, to answer your the second part of your question first, it's here, but what it specifically means, I think, is is going to be playing out over the course of the next couple of years. Um, a lot of folks, and you know, to your first question around who is talking about this, I think it's become really an important and perhaps overused term among digital 
marketing, IT leaders, um, and certainly in the broader healthcare IT and uh, tech-enabled services and digital health domains, platforms, that term is used a lot, but their importance and utilization is now becoming real for healthcare. And in particular, it's becoming real because we've had a proliferation of technology solutions, many of them kind of standalone point, you know, you've probably heard the term point solution. They stand alone, they serve a very specific narrow purpose, and they may not connect to other technology solutions or use cases, or, you know, they don't like systems don't talk to each other. They may not be interoperable from a data perspective, but platforms are coming together to change all that, bring things together into sort of like a more coherent experience, a coherent sort of technical architecture, and therefore a set of sort of business models and business outcomes as well. And that's happening today. And so we're at the early stages of that, but this is something that is already underway. Sarah, when you just said that word point solutions, I sort of clicked in my mind this sort of visual, and it kind of goes back to your example of Amazon, that currently in healthcare, we've got lots of these programs or products that we use one by one. And I'm just imagining the difference between that and an Amazon-like experiences. I go into Amazon, the platform, and I can buy just about anything. Whereas in the past, you know, pre-Amazon platform, if I wanted to buy a pair of shoes, I would have to go either to a shoe store or to a, let's say a website that delivered a product, let's say it was shoes. Or if I wanted electronics, I would have to go to another website or multiple websites. And if I wanted to compare, I would definitely have to go to multiple websites or go to a store. And I think that shift from point solutions, as you put it, or, or programs to platforms is now I go to Amazon and it doesn't matter if I want, like you said, a book or a pair of socks or some electronic device or whatever it is, a shirt. I mean, literally, the platform is there and it completely transformed my experience as a consumer. What do you think about that? And particularly its relevance in healthcare? You know, that's exactly right. And what you've articulated too is, so it's not only it cuts across products, but it also, you know, if you really think about what's interesting about Amazon's commerce platform is that it's not even about what Amazon sells only. It's about the third party marketplace. So there's fulfilled by Amazon, there's prime services, and then there's other sellers. There's a broader marketplace. And it really is like an ecosystem oriented view, not an Amazon centric view of purchasing. And that is uh, the direction that healthcare will eventually, I believe, head as well. So I sit within a health system mm -hmm. and health systems tend to be very health system oriented. We think about our services only. And in some cases, we're even narrow about how we think about our own services. So for instance, we only may highlight the ability to book primary care online, but let's say you need other services. Like how do we actually present all of these things in a holistic enterprise-wide fashion, and then also connect to the broader ecosystem. Health systems are very sick care oriented. Everyone talks about that. We really only are reactive or clinically oriented, but folks are whole people and they may need health and wellness services. They may need mental health services that are provided by the host of mental health technology solutions that are out there. They may want nutrition programs that their health system mm -hmm. doesn't provide. And so it's a broad, you know, truly individually oriented 
lifestyle oriented, consumer oriented view as opposed to a health system centric view. And that's that's exactly like what Amazon has brought to commerce. So they've done it in a stepwise fashion. You know, they started out with books and they broadened out their product lines. To your point, you could buy stocks and you can buy electrical electronic equipment and you can stream movies and you can do all mm -hmm. sorts of things. Mm -hmm. They added additional benefits like Prime on their own sites. They've got third-party services. And now they even have Prime on other shopping sites, which is a huge move, right? Wow. So they're just expanding the scope and going to anywhere where you are buying services. And it's a similar kind of concept for not just healthcare delivery, but health and wellness services more generally. Yes, that's really, really helpful. I, I want to explore a little bit about that notion of sort of breaking down some of the barriers, that sort of insular way that most stakeholders in healthcare work now. Before I ask you that question, though, as you were talking, there was one thing that came to mind about the Amazon experience. And again, super grateful for you using that because I think most of us can understand it because we've experienced it or we experience it pretty much daily. The other thing about, and, and tell me if this is a function of the platform, is that the platform also gets to know me. And mm -hmm. so it sees me buy a certain type of thing and let's say electronic device or something like that. And it can, number one, show me all these different electronic devices from different vendors and actually even different types of products, not exactly that product. But when I come back to Amazon, it remembers and creates some analytics around me to predict what it is I want and need. And it's startling. But is that something also that you would say is part of the advantage of a platform? Uh, so it, it's an interesting point. It depends on the platform, but you got it. You know, as it relates to these particular use cases, knowing the user is absolutely paramount. So knowing the user, having the data around them, wrapping around the analytics and using that to fuel experiences that are personalized in order to drive engagement. That's the point here is mm -hmm. to keep you coming back for more. And this is where it connects into the flywheel concept as mm -hmm. well. It has to know you. Imagine a scenario in which, you know, you and I were served up the exact same website and the same shopping experience, we would be less likely to kind of keep going back to it over and over because you're a different person than I am and we consume different things, different things matter to us, our history is different and you lose folks if it's not relevant and personalized to them. But that is for service, for platforms that are aiming to drive up engagement, knowing the individual and personalizing it to them, personalizing their experiences to them is a an absolutely essential component of that platform. Let's cross over and speak specifically about this notion of flywheels. And I just want to highlight the word engagement because it's so easy to get kind of lost in some of the details. But if the purpose here is to create engagement, I think that's incredibly important for healthcare systems, both as a prime goal or, or part of their core strategy to create engagement and retention of patients, but also it's a potential risk or liability with these disruptors who are adept at engagement. And so with that in the back of your mind, could you tell us, I mean, you co-authored this recent article, literally the last couple of weeks came out, I, I caught it on LinkedIn and I just, I'd never heard of this notion of flywheels. So could you tell us, what do you mean by a flywheel? And I know you gave three examples of flywheels outside of healthcare to, to help illustrate that. 
Yeah, absolutely. So at its most basic, a flywheel is something that keeps a user coming back over and over. And so that you you keep using whatever that that service or program is. And it can be pretty difficult to get a flywheel going. There's always a bit of activation energy in the case of, you know, like the types of services that we're talking about, you got to earn the right to get folks to engage with you on an ongoing basis. And you often do that by delivering really seamless, great frictionless experiences to them and then personalizing it over time so that they do keep coming back. But um, once you overcome that activation energy, it really becomes very difficult to stop the flywheel because, and you use the word daily, right? Amazon actually has the concept of the daily habit and we've got in healthcare, you know, we've got this, like you come back once or twice a year because you've got some clinical need, which is the exact opposite of that. So it's really the concept of coming back for more because it's relevant to you and you find utility in it and value in it as a, as a user. Hmm. And so you asked about, you know, some examples and mm -hmm. the, the three that we talked about in the blog that we wrote, the first one is Amazon and Prime is their flywheel in that, you know, you pay a membership fee and get benefits um, out of that membership fee. They started off with two-day shipping and they added on all sorts of other benefits like uh, Prime Video and, hmm. you know, other services that add utility that make it even more interesting. And that's like, that's the, you know, that's like probably the most powerful flywheel that's out there right now. Veil Resorts was another one that we used. Um, my co-author is a skier and he utilizes Veil Resorts. And again, uh, you get a pass, um, a season pass every year, but it doesn't just give you access to one ski resort. Like it used to be back in the day when you would buy a, a lift ticket for, you know, a, a single resort. It, now you have access to a broad network of resorts as well as other benefits like uh, rides to and from the airport. And so it really starts to make it even more attractive and then my favorite example is Starbucks. And Starbucks, of course, is a little bit of a, it's a very different kind of business. It's, uh, you know, most folks kind of need their daily coffee anyway. But Starbucks has taken this fascinating approach where they, you know, sell gift cards and they had $3 billion of gift card sales in like a, in one quarter of 2021. And they used that $3 billion of gift cards. And of course, they, they, you know, they have amazing performance across um, their gift card sales in general, but they are able to gather data about their users through these programs, which helps them make, you know, again, serve up these great experiences to them. But the uh, financial benefit also is that they don't need to utilize a bank um, or a credit card to process the transactions on their own gift cards. And they take the savings mm -hmm. and are able to use a portion of the savings to give you things like um, STARS programs and free drinks on your birthday and, and then fuel that ongoing engagement through things that matter to you. And so these things, again, are like common elements are knowing you as an individual because they have the data about you and then serving up high utility personalized experiences that you care about. And those are big elements of flywheels that really um, make them kind of lasting 
and not just like a one-time kind of transactional thing. Wow. That was so, so fascinating. I was just taking notes as you're speaking. I mean, so what I'm hearing is this sort of this personalized experience of things that are attractive to me that create this engagement. And the one phrase you used that I don't know that I've ever heard it or realized this, you talked about Amazon and the fact that they are, I don't know if it's a purpose or strategy, this notion of the, the daily habit. Could you say a little bit more about that? Because I think that managers and executives at healthcare systems would salivate over this notion of their services being a daily habit. Yeah. The daily habit is, it's a really important indicator of how close you are to your users and how top of mind you are. So, you know, years ago when Amazon started doing this work, they actually didn't invest as much in marketing and advertising. They relied on the quality of their experiences to drive people to keep coming back to them. And that was the metric that they used was daily active users. In healthcare, it may not make sense for us to have daily active users, but monthly, certainly, where we can serve up content or other sort of valuable things to our users. And so this notion of how close you are to your consumer and like the metrics that are associated with that is a sign of how top of mind you are. So the reason why that's important is that if you're not top of mind, you have to constantly pay to reacquire consumers mm -hmm. because they have a lot of different things coming at them. And anytime they have a need, they will go to wherever, you know, has most recently sort of marketed itself or is most top of mind for them. And in the case of healthcare, where typically we only have 2.5 interactions per, um, per year with our patients, we aren't very close to folks. And therefore, we're open for disruption and for folks to get in the middle of that relationship and get closer to the, to the patient. And the more we can move toward the closeness and whether it's daily or not, but move as close as we possibly can to them, it reduces our kind of cost of doing business because we don't have to constantly pay to re reacquire, but we also don't kind of get relegated to downstream price takers who don't have a relationship with the, with the patient and are simply, you know, sort of at the bottom of the funnel and we get things kind of pushed over the fence to us. And so we want to be we want to be upstream, close to the consumer, and that's really like what we're striving for. How much of a potential disruption is the introduction of flywheels? Because you talk about Amazon, and I think our default is to think of Amazon as traditional Amazon, as opposed to Amazon Healthcare or Amazon Care. And they're clearly, the last year or so has, uh, if not two or three or four or five years, has demonstrated illustrated how serious Amazon is about being in the healthcare industry now with its acquisition of One Medical. Of course, it has PillPack and other acquisitions that it has completed and those that are currently engaged in. I just read over the weekend that they're competing now or vying to purchase uh, Signify Health. Yep. Right. And so Amazon is clearly the intent is is at this point beyond obvious. And they are already in healthcare, of course, even just with Amazon Care. 
And then even was it last week or the week before, I saw that their announcement of a, a home-based device so adult children can keep an eye or be aware of their uh, older parents at home. So multiple products, services, companies actually care delivery now. And of course, with Whole Foods, there are scenarios you could imagine that you would go to a store, there'd be a Whole Foods and there'd be a door leading from Whole Foods right into One Medical. And if you're older, maybe into Iora Health that does more senior care and, and on and on. So Amazon is in healthcare and they are expert at, as you are now informing us, of creating these flywheels, of creating this attractiveness, engagement, personalized care, the daily habit. And it's not just Amazon, of course, there's CVS, uh, another sophisticated mm -hmm. retailer and, 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 and Walgreens and many more that are getting into healthcare and obviously Walmart. And, and then of course, they're the payers that are, I think also quite a bit further ahead in terms of that engagement and, and delivering content than, than our provider groups like hospital systems. So from your perspective, to me, as I'm hearing this, I'm thinking I'd actually start to be a little bit concerned about the potential for disruption for taking patients and engaging them with these new entrants. What, what What's your thought about that? It's hugely concerning for a couple of reasons. The first is that they're going to sort of chip away at profitable business. It may not be that, you know, a single one of these folks that you've mentioned, whether it's Amazon or Walmart or CVS or Walgreens or whoever, it, they may not deliver a single death blow, but they're going to collectively chip away at the already deteriorating kind of margins of health systems and take away what little sort of profitable business that we have. And we, you know, health systems can't survive and remain viable that way mm -hmm. um, with, we were already in a tough situation before. And now with the last two and a half years of COVID and all the other kind of accompanying challenges, um, as well as the, you know, inflation and these kinds of things, like it just becomes financially untenable collectively. So that's a, that's a huge problem. They're going to chip away at our, uh, at our profitable businesses. The second thing that's going to happen is that, uh, again, we're going to become downstream price takers, just pushed into only those businesses like hospital services that we can provide that these entities aren't going to want to take on because they are very operationally challenging, very expensive to run. And we will become these kind of commoditized services that only compete on on the basis of price. Mm. And that's a bad place to be. So I think it's it's very dangerous. And health systems need to be moving. And we've been talking about this for, you know, mm -hmm. 10 years or more. Mm -hmm. And I think the burning platform wasn't really there in such stark terms as it is today. So it is it is concerning. And of course, you know, the the large payer providers like United Health Group Optum and mm -hmm. Humana and Cigna, these they're all moving into increasingly into the provider space. So that's another sort of mm -hmm. significant headwind and uh, in in the business. So so it's it's deeply concerning. And you know, let's let's talk about flywheels again for a second. Yeah, of course. So Amazon is probably going to kind of do a couple of different things. One is they'll probably build 
healthcare benefits into Prime. I think that's, to your point, like probably a, a pretty obvious move of what they'll be able to do, uh, like more from a direct-to-consumer approach. And then Amazon Care has had uh, a direct-to-employer strategy. And so they'll be able to cover employer-sponsored insurance, commercially insured, well-paying side of things on that front. And then they'll be able to capture the cash pay, but those folks who, who can pay, who have the means to participate in the market in that way through Prime, um, that side of the business. And so, so again, their flywheel is just going to get continually strengthened by the additional breadth of services that they'll be able to provide. And health systems are, are going to need to have a response to that. So let me ask you a little bit more just to clarify that the second point you made about Amazon Care, they are obviously in the employer-based healthcare space. And now with the acquisition of One Medical, even more so. And so tell me a little bit more, if you can maybe just, what, where is the flywheel there? What What would an Amazon Care offer or add to its current services uh, or even to the One Medical services that would create that sort of personalized engagement, that daily habit? It's a good question. I think, you know, they'll now be able to offer hybrid care in a much more holistic way than they were able to before. Healthcare has been, especially over the last two and a half years with COVID, hybridizing in that it is multimodal and can do uh, physical and virtual in a much more seamless sort of overall experience. And that um, way of sort of reaching the consumer where they are will be uh, a real attractive feature of of their direct to employer offering. So you've got this full breadth of I can go in into a one medical clinic or I could engage in a virtual visit, whatever suits me in the moment based on my kind of unique circumstances. That's going to continue to strengthen that. And I'm sure they'll figure out the economic model in the back end. They're experts at that. Mm, that's really, really helpful. What other flywheels exist in healthcare already? Or could you imagine that, let's say you've created this notion of flywheels and now you're a flywheel consultant and hospital systems are calling you up and saying, Sarah, what, what do we do? How do we create these flywheels? What would you say to them? I think um, there's a couple different components to it. The first is there's sort of a, a technical technology and digital infrastructure that's required, which is identity driven engagement. So we need to, you know, start to, um, Providence has this notion, um, our promise to our patients is know me, care for me, ease my way. That's what we aim to deliver to them. And that the first part, know me, is about like understanding individuals as whole people. And we've built a sort of technical infrastructure to be able to do that through something we call simple patient identity. And it really is about bringing identity out of just the clinical domain and, and connecting it to all the other relevant pieces of someone's being and their you know health and wellness. So identity and then building an engagement sort of experience that taps into that identity is personalized and personalized and dynamic and changes with their kind of unique journey through life takes much more of a holistic view rather than just what we provide to them from like a Providence perspective, but it more of a, here are all the things that are available to you in one single access channel sort of served up to you. 
So I think there's that technical um, architecture that's required that's part of a, a, a successful flywheel for a health system. And, and for us, it takes the form of this identity-driven engagement platform. The second piece of it is that, you know, the technology instruments different programs and services and serves them up to the user. And I think another really important element of that that doesn't exist today in many health systems, and, and I think we should start working on those things and we are is around membership programs so mm -hmm. similar to like prime where you pay some amount and then get high value services that are, you find useful to you um health systems can do the same thing um and you know one medical had a membership oriented model mm -hmm. as well and so i think that from a programmatic perspective combined with that technology uh, infrastructure uh, um, or like the platform as a service really which is how we're how we're thinking about our identity driven engagement platform those two are a really powerful combination and where you know i think health systems should start that was fantastic what about that third part you, you mentioned know me care for me and then ease my way yeah ease my way is fundamentally about just reducing friction so making it easy for instance to uh, and I'll use a lot of, you know, from like the technology lens, making it easy to create an account. We are a system that uses Epic and MyChart is our patient portal, but historically it's been difficult to have a MyChart account. You needed to, you know, in the past, you need to go into a clinic and get an activation code and there was all these hoops you had to jump through. But users don't want to do that. They don't even want to, you know, we're, they don't even want to remember right. passwords anymore, right? right. And so, right. so reducing friction around account creation, resetting your password if you have to, reducing friction around booking an appointment, being mm -hmm. able to actually get in to see your provider. These are all places where we have to reduce friction. And I would actually say that it almost is like, know me ease my way, care for me, right? Because you you earn the right to engage with folks more deeply when you make things easy for them. Um, if it's hard for them, you know, you're going to go to the place where, especially for, if it's not a super complex thing, um, you're going to go where your needs are going to be met most easily in the way that, you know, suits you in the moment. Like if you're like, oh, I woke up in the morning and I feel like I have the flu and I just need to see someone now kind of a thing. In your recently published blog article, you write that flywheels will be important, and I quote here, not only for maintaining relevance against the digital native disruptors, but also to support a transition to value-based care beyond sick care. Can you speak to how flywheels will help us transition or augment care beyond the sick care to value-based care? So a big part of that is, you know, just thinking about these new models of care, like membership models, or in the case of value-based care, like closing care gaps for preventive services and having the ability for a user to perhaps even self-serve around that. So not needing to get a call from someone that, hey, you're due for your mammogram, but be able to get that sort of nudge to you within mm -hmm. um, within your app. It, we make it fairly challenging today and our providers are always in this sort of a mixed environment where some of their patients are in a value-based care arrangement, some of them are in fee-for-service arrangements, but we, we kind of force them to manage through all of that and 
that's not um, tenable or sustainable for our clinicians. It puts too much pressure on them. And so we can provide, again, going back to that mm -hmm. sort of technical architecture, sort of a, a mechanism to make that easy for the user to be, you know, to get automated messages and communicated to in the way that they want to be communicated to so that we can encourage folks to get in. And then we can succeed much more because we're more relevant in a value-based environment where it's not completely off the wall to get a message from your provider, um, but you get more used to it because you're kind of continuously engaged with them. As I'm listening to you and thinking about what you've shared with us and taught us, I, I never thought of this before, but a membership program where it's sort of prepaid, whether it's for, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's kind of like a value-based payment model. It's, you know, once you pay, you're in, you get all the benefits. There's no restrictions or for me to use it, I, it makes more sense because I've already paid for it. And I'd never connected those two. What are your thoughts about that? Absolutely. And, you know, I, I totally, I think that you're, you're spot on. Now, the argument on the flip side is that it may drive sort of like a moral hazard thing and people may overutilize services, but mm -hmm. that's not the goal, right? We can right. still put in place the things like the controls to ensure that folks are using the right mechanisms, that they're, you know, it's not that folks want to consume health services, right. but they want to get their needs met. They want to get the information that they require to take care of themselves and ensure that they're staying healthy. That's what we're trying to promote. And the controls can be in place so that we don't have to, you know, that we're not driving over utilization and we're providing folks with the 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 tools and content and things that they need to to solve their problems. Yeah, and I know that it's a complex literature on this notion, but I have a bias here, but I will say this. I mean, we know that primary care and preventive care is grossly underutilized and Exactly. right? I mean, there was this Medi-Cal study that just showed the plans in California where there was a higher use of, of primary care, the total cost of care were much lower. And so I think if we apply this sort of membership flywheel concept to to things, whether it's behavioral health or, or primary care or preventive care, or proactive care, whatever. I mean, there's so much in healthcare where we, we really want people to use it more. Like you say, I mean, how amazing would it be if we made healthcare a daily habit in, in that way? It's kind of an interesting vision. Absolutely. And, you know, um, Providence's CEO, Rod Hoffman, always talks about this concept of primary care for all and that we only use, you know, nine cents on the dollar of our health spend is on primary care, but the return is so much greater. Like if we're actually able to get that kind of care regularly in the hands of folks who need it. And um, I think that's exactly what you're articulating. Yeah, no, that, that's right. I was just actually looking at that article from, from Medi-Cal, that study uh, came out in April of 2020. 22, but the, the stat you just quoted, I mean, less than 10%, I've heard it's closer to five or 6%, but less than 10% of all the healthcare dollars are in primary care, which is really a bit perverse, right? It's, it mm -hmm. shouldn't be that way. It doesn't make sense for preventive care and for cost of care, or even for the experience of care. I know our time is coming to a close. Quick question. I was speaking with Roy Schoenberg from Amwell, the CEO founder. And he talked about three domains in the future of healthcare delivery. Actually, we were talking about Converge, which is, as I, I'm sure you are well aware of, is the platform that Amwell is building or has built. But he talked about three domains. I'm really curious as to how you see this. He talked in the future that there's going to be in-person care, sort of in real life care. There's going to be a virtual world of care 
the synchronous and asynchronous type of care. And then there's going to be sort of a digitally automated world of healthcare. Three domains, he, he thinks all will be utilized, but increasingly we're going to see more virtual, more digital. A, I'm wondering, do you have a different picture of the future? And how does this sort of play into your notion of, of flywheels and platforms? Uh, you know, I, I think where there may be a bit of a difference between how he sees it is that I, I don't think there's, it depends on the service, but I don't think that there will be as stark of a difference between in-person and the virtual world. Mm -hmm. And we're already seeing that. Folks want to be able to engage in these types of services at their convenience, whether they're physical or virtual. And frankly, that sort of multimodal nature is also going to work to create a much more affordable way of care delivery for things where you don't need, you know, clinicians don't need to lay their hands on their patients. And I actually think the automated piece of it as well, like the lines are going to blur and mm. that's the platform. I think that's actually a really interesting place where platforms will emerge, where they'll be able to orchestrate across all of these. And, you know, we actually incubated a platform that was spun out of Providence last year called DexCare, which does precisely that. They are a platform as a service that orchestrates across multimodal care, all like from discovery through navigating the patient to the right modality, venue, what have you, within the context of like all these degrees of freedom that the virtual world and the automated world provide, and then matching supply to demand on the back end. So you can imagine that that really complicates how you operationalize it from a supply perspective, and, and they're able to do that. And so I think the lines are going to be blurred, especially for things in the ambulatory domain, whether it's on-demand care or primary care, some specialty care. I think that's, so my view is very, is, is different from um, Roy's in that regard, which is, I think it's all going to exist simultaneously in a way and, mm -hmm. and how we serve that up. And then, you know, from a business model perspective, for instance, price it or create a membership model around it so folks can engage in it in a way that makes sense for them will be the wave of the future. That was really, really helpful. I mean, that the notion that, of course, as we have this sort of hybrid care that's intermixed, whether it's in-person, virtual, digitally managed, without a platform, I can't even imagine how complicated and complex that would be. You need that platform, as you so eloquently put it, to really orchestrate all of those different types of services, which in the end, to your point, we're so used to this anyway, whether we text, email, social media, in-person, phone. I mean, it, it all becomes one thing for us. And I think that notion of a platform orchestrating that really puts into, I think, play why platforms are going to be even more needed in the future. That's right. That's right. It's all going to be fluid and transparent. You're not going to want the technology to be in your face around how all this is happening. It's going to happen hmm. in the background and with the lines blurred. Sarah, I could go on with you and listen uh, for hours. I've, I've got so many more questions, but I, I, I know we're at the top of the hour. We're a little past it. I don't want to hold you up. So I, I just want to say, uh, just you're really astounding. Every time I talk to you, I'm just fascinated and amazed with, with you and, and your knowledge and what you all are doing at Providence. So I just want to say thank you to you. This is um, so much fun. And I always love our conversations. Uh, thank you so much 
each time I do this, I, I conclude by thanking not only you, our guests, but all of you out there who are doing the hard work each and every day of taking care of patients or those of you who are supporting those who are taking care of patients. I cannot tell you, I cannot express how much uh, I and we truly appreciate you for what you do and recognize how critically important this work is to individuals, their families, the communities they live in, and our society. My friends, this is Zeb Worth on creating a new healthcare. Until next time, be safe and be well.